0: It's time for JT the Brick. Always always great to be with the Brick. This is how you do radio in a professional sports town and this hasn't been a professional sports town. It was just UNLV basketball for how many decades. Now you got the Raiders and you got the Golden Knights. It's big boy radio.
1: JT the Brick.
0: Hey JT, how you doing, man? My radio show's a little bit more intense. It gets a little bit more crazy. It gets a little bit more emotional. It's big boy radio. And now, here's JT the Brick. What's happening, everybody? JT, hour number two on Raider Nation Radio, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Samandashlaw.com, because you deserve what's right. They're my personal friends and injury attorneys. If you get into an accident, get to the side of the road, be safe. Don't take a call from anybody. Wait for Sam and Ash. Give them a call. Two for one, two of the best attorneys in town. They'll walk you through it, and they're there for you to win. SamAndAshInjuryLaw.com. Amy Purdy is going to join us in a few moments. Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame recipient as the banquet is coming up here, one of my favorite events of the year. We're talking about the Raiders and all the cap space that they'll have coming up here in the next few days. What do they do with that money? What do they do with that money? How do they get another player or two? to tighten up this roster that seems pretty tight to me. You know, there's a lot of new players that we're all going to get to learn on this team. And there's going to be maybe a surprise or two on a player that makes the cut and makes the team. But it, it's pretty full. I mean, the barn door is closing. Every position seems to be accounted for when it comes to the Raiders, other than a potential move on the offensive line to add depth. I don't think they need anything in the backfield that running back, they seem to be loaded and wide receiver loaded enough to say goodbye to Brian Edwards. The defense on the back end is good. Trayvon Merrick, Jonathan Abram gets another chance. Rocky Asin, Trayvon Mullen coming off his injury to his foot. Hopefully he's at 100%. So what spots are open? We'll get to that later this hour. Amy Purdy is kind enough to join us, as again I said, getting inducted into the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame, and despite the loss of both legs below the knee, she's a three-time Paralympic medalist, She's a model. She's a guest speaker, a motivational speaker, one of the best in the business, and an actress. And she's very inspiring, and I'm thrilled to talk to her. Amy, thanks for doing this. Hope you're well, and congratulations.
1: Hi. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: How excited are you? Take us back to the early years of Cimarron Memorial High School, or even younger than that, as you fell in love in sport with sports at a young age. What were those sports and the motivation to become an athlete?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I actually wasn't an athlete when I was young, when I was growing up in Vegas. And when I was, you know, in elementary school or high school, I was not an athlete. I was actually, I was an artist. I took all painting classes, all art classes at Cimarron. And, but I did fall in love with snowboarding at the age of 15 to the point of where I knew it was something that I would do for the rest of my life. And I focused on that. I used to go up to Brian Head, also Las Vegas Ski Resort, which was Lee at the time Mm -hmm. Um, I snowboarded every single day after high school so we get out at one o'clock I jump in my car I drive up to the mountains and I'd snowboard every day up there with my friends and so yeah I mean you know to be a professional snowboarder coming from Las Vegas is pretty rare but I absolutely fell in love with it
0: Uh, take us back to 1999 in the news the chance of survival was less than two percent the form of bacterial meningitis that you had when you had that diagnosis with your family, the people around you, I'm sure it was super heavy. How were you able to get through the diagnosis before you started the process of fighting this?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I, it came out of the blue. So I was a massage therapist, and I became a massage therapist so I could travel the world and snowboard. That was my whole point. I started working at the Venetian Hotel at Canyon hmm. Ranch at the spa there as a massage therapist. And I remember going to work one day, I was 19 years old, and I felt great at the beginning of the day, but about midway through the day, I started to feel run down. I got hit with fatigue, my back ached a little bit, my neck ached a little bit, I went home from work early. The next day, I was rushed to the hospital in a state of septic shock, where I fought for my life, I was given less than a 2% chance of living. Um, I was also given two hours left to live as my family was in uh, southern Utah in Brinehead uh, doing an event up there. And so my family had to rush in. And, you know, that was maybe four hours away. And the doctors and nurses told my parents, we don't know if she'll make it another two hours. At that point, they had no idea what I had. Um, We just we thought I had the flu. But it wasn't until five days later as I fought for my life in the hospital. I was in a coma. Um, that I was diagnosed with meningococcal meningitis, which is a bacteria that is actually very rare to get. It's a very common bacteria. They say 25% of the population carry it, but but the majority of people will never get sick from it. And for whatever reason, my immune system didn't fight it off. When it gets into your bloodstream, it multiplies every, like doubles, the bacteria count doubles every 20 minutes. And so They say within the first 15 hours, it's like 85% fatal. So you think you have the flu and then all of a sudden you're in septic shock fighting for your life. And that's what happened to me. So I fought for my life in the hospital. I was put into an induced coma, had a near-death experience actually, Um, ended up losing my spleen, my kidney function, the hearing in my left ear and both legs below the knees. Um, Just, you know, all within a, a, a matter of, you know, a week or two that I was in the hospital. And I I stayed in the hospital for a couple of months fighting for my life, and um, my entire life changed. So I will definitely say, though, that I felt incredibly grateful to be alive. I knew how bad it was. I knew how close I was to losing my life, and I really moved forward by focusing on gratitude and what I had. I had my family who were by my side the entire time. I had my friends. I had support. I was so grateful for that. I really just focused on what I had versus what I lost. And that's what allowed me to move forward.
0: Amy Purdy is our guest, newest recipient into the famed Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame coming up here from Cimarron Memorial High School. So after all this, the kidney transplant from your dad, which is another podcast and side story, that's so amazing. How did you get the inspiration in the fight to go out and compete again? What was the early transition like to having that type of confidence until you got comfortable again?
1: You know, it just started somewhere. And it didn't start with thinking that I was going to compete. And it didn't start with thinking that I was going to be in the Olympics. (laughs) I wasn't even thinking that big. I just knew that I loved snowboarding and I I loved it so much because my friends did it. My family did it. It's like, that's what, that's how I connected with my group of friends. So I knew that I wanted to figure it out. And when I was in the hospital, I kept asking the doctors, okay, can I snowboard on two prosthetic legs? And they would say, we don't know. We just got to get you walking first. Even when I met my first leg maker there in Vegas and he was making prosthetics for me, I would ask him like, okay, when when can I snowboard? he would say, I've never seen a double leg amputee snowboard before. So we're just going to have to figure this out. So the drive and passion was there. And that's really what moved me forward. And in fact, that's what moved me through my darkest days is having the passion to move forward and to try to figure this out. I was, I was kind of inspired or motivated by the challenge of trying to figure it out. And so I went up to Lee Canyon and tried Mm. to snowboard and realized that my feet didn't move the way I needed them to. My ankles wouldn't bend and they came off and there's just so many things that happened. And, and I was very discouraged, but I also thought, well, if I can figure out a way to keep these feet attached, if I could figure out a way to get my ankles to move in the way I need them, then I probably can do this again. I just got to figure it out. And so I went on this mission and I called every I called every leg manufacturer in the world and asked them if they ever made feet to snowboard in. And they said no. So I decided to make a pair of feet myself. And I basically took random parts and pieces and Frankenstein these feet together um, that moved in the way that I needed them to. And so that was like the first step was just figuring it out. And then then from there, The feet worked, but they didn't work as good as I wanted them to. Like, Mm -hmm. as I was progressing and wanted to progress, my feet weren't keeping up with me. And so that's when I started looking for other resources and putting other things together. Now the feet that I snowboard in are a pair of feet that a friend makes in his garage. He makes them for the entire international snowboard community. And they're made with this box motocross shock. They're incredible. So, So really, first of all, being a part of this kind of disabled community can be incredibly inspiring because everybody's so resourceful to try to figure things out. Like we're all creative and trying to help each other and trying to figure things out. And so as I kind of just wanted to grow as an athlete, I had to get the feet that helped me mm-hmm. do that. And as that continued, um, it allowed me to, you know, to, uh, kind of pursue snowboarding at a higher level. Um, and it, so it really just built, you know, when I was younger, I could have never imagined that I would be in the Olympics, that I'd be on cereal boxes and billboards or being, you know, inducted into a sports hall of fame. Um, I never could have imagined that would be my path. But I followed the things that felt good and snowboarding mm-hmm. felt good. And one thing led to, the ne- to another.
0: Amy Purdy, as we wrap it up, what an, an inspiring human being. I'm thrilled we get an opportunity to talk with her as she enters the Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. I watch your TED Talk, and a lot of people know you for Dancing with the Stars, advancing all the way to the finale, and the Amazing Race, Season 18. And, And again, I love the TED Talk. I look at a lot of TED Talks and listen and watch the videos. So for you, this life where you're at now, you mentioned gratitude early in our conversation, and then with the mainstream media attention that picked up, What's next for you? Because you have so much going on in your life. I can't imagine how you book out your year with speeches, what you're going to do as a competitor, how you're going to travel the world. Tell us what you're doing now.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so I actually, well, I'll be honest, you know, because of COVID and I actually had an injury a couple of years ago, kind of, I've kind of slowed down a little bit when it comes to physically figuring out <laughs> The possibilities. I, I feel like I did that. I did that with my sport. I did that with Dancing with the Stars. Um, I actually just recently retired from um, competitive snowboarding, and so right now I'm I'm focused on. I'm at the very beginning stages of writing another book. Um, I also am just really inspired by you know just helping to make a positive impact um, when it comes to you know just my community even. Even children, I, I just I'm very inspired, especially with what happened this past week um, with the shootings in Texas. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just very inspired to be able to use the things that I've learned to be able to help others figure out the possibilities in their own life. And so I'm really I'm as busy as I am with traveling and speaking to big corporations. I'm I'm actually very inspired to um, speak more for high schools, schools, and in general, um, just being able to you know positively influence um, our children so that's something that 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 i'm very I, i'm very kind of moved by and inspired by right now
0: amy congratulations on everything that's coming up the southern nevada sports hall of fame is a real big deal whenever i go to the ceremony i see the individuals who get in as you know we're talking to everybody in your class it's going to be a high honor and something you'll never forget thanks for coming on the radio with us if i can do anything In the future, to help with your foundation, charity work, please uh, let us get involved, and we'd love to help. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for having me today.
0: You got it. There she is, Amy Purdy. What a story. Inspirational story. You know, some days she mentioned gratitude. There are days where I don't see enough gratitude like all of us. We have to find the gratitude, and you hear that. You hear what she went through at a young age, and then losing both her legs below the knees, her kidney transplant her father, just the week before her 21st birthday, her father her father donated a kidney to her, and she had to go through that. And then the Sochi Games in 2014, Korea 2018, all the big events in her life, a three-time Paralympic medalist, and she just wants to give back. I would deeply encourage everybody to check out her TED Talk, because that's when she came on to my world, when I saw that, and... Thanks to everybody at Las Vegas events. When I get the opportunity, I just wish I had the ability to do that with a camera and a podcast so everyone could see the emotion on her face. She's an actress. She's a model. She is super successful. And I'm just proud to play a small role in telling these stories here. And that'll be coming up as she gets inducted into the Southern Nevada Sports Sports Hall of Fame. Amy Purdy, we really appreciate her checking in. 702-365-9200. As we continue on, we're brought to you by Modelo with the fighting spirit of Modelo. Thanks to Amy Purdy again. Coming up, Olden Polonese, the 15-year big man supposed to check in. We'll talk to him about Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Hey, is anybody into the NBA Finals other than me? Raider Nation, Warrior fans, Dub Nation, you call yourselves. Where are you, man? This is a sports talk show. The NBA Finals is here. We're sitting here at the end of May into June. NBA Finals is what I'm talking about. If you're a Dubs fan, let me know how confident you are that you're going to win the Finals. Chest pass to the right wing back over to Draymond. Curry cuts off Draymond. Draymond with four on the clock. Gotta go down the lane. Finds Wiggins, goes up, and dumped it again. Tim Roy. Love Tim Roy. Been talking to him for a long, long time. The voice of 1888, GSW Hoop, and he's just fantastic, so we appreciate that. I want to get into this in a moment here, so give me a minute. I wanted to point out, I just tweeted out, if anybody wants to take a look at it, Pro Football Focus. So it's Pro Football Focus, and they came out with their power rankings. And their power rankings are good. Pro Football Focus is fantastic. They grade every player and teams. And Sam Monson is one of their best. So here's who they had in their power rankings. In their first category, it was called uh, True Contenders. So this is who they believe are contenders to win the Super Bowl. The Buffalo Bills, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the world champion LA Rams, three, number four, Kansas City. How could you not have Kansas City there? And here we go, the last team, number five, the Chargers. The Chargers, Super Bowl contenders. It says, few teams were as aggressive this offseason as the Chargers, who seemed determined to capitalize on the talent they have with Justin Herbert. Far from regressing, Herbert's second season built on his stellar rookie campaign. So the Chargers spent a ton of money to surround him with talent, adding players such as Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson to the secondary. Drafting Zion Johnson should ensure the line in front of Herbert remains solid. So those are the top five Super Bowl contenders. Kansas City and the Chargers are there. Then on the next category, it said could be there a year. Packers, Broncos, oh, Broncos, number seven, Denver, catapulted itself into contenders by trading for Russell Wilson, blah, blah, blah. Then they have the Bengals, the 49ers at nine, and number 10, Cleveland, Cleveland, number 10. Remember, uh, Raiders fired Vic Fangio, they beat him the last four times, he's fired, they knocked the Chargers out of playoff contention, and good old Cleveland, who they were able to get through, and Cleveland is there. At number 10. Then they have Baltimore at 11. Then they have the team's eyes on the playoffs. And they have Dallas, Philly, Arizona, Indy. And at number 16, the Raiders. Number 16, the Raiders. (laughs) All right? So I just tweeted that out. That is nothing more, ladies and gentlemen, than Chargers propaganda. And one of these days, the Chargers are going to prove me wrong and win. And they're going to get to the playoffs, and maybe they'll get to the Super Bowl. But until then, I am the minister of defense when it comes to the Raider Nation. Pointing out false Chargers propaganda, and there it is again. All right, we got him. 15-year NBA big man, Olden Polonese, my premier NBA insider with the finals upon us. And Olden, first thing, let's get into this. What do you think with Boston's number one defense going up against the Warriors, their depth and them shooting all these threes.
2: Only thing I think about is something's gonna have to give, and you know, uh, the Warriors are no slouch either on defense. So it's gonna come down to who can make the, who can make shots and whose defense stands the test. Because you know, the Warriors are gonna have some some slight matchup problems. You know, with um, Jalen Brown and um, Jason Tatum, but mm-hmm. I think you know, as far as guard play. Is Advantage Warriors, but that's pretty much what stands out. The you know, at Old- first sight, is just the mm-hmm. matchup between the, the the power forward guys.
0: Olden, what jumps out at me is Marcus Smart is the defensive player of the year. I mean, you have to have that. You're lucky to have that in the finals going up against the Warriors. So with Smart, I don't think he'll guard Steph. I think he'll guard Clay. Most of the time, there but switch off and, and be a difference maker. He has to play the best defense of his entire career. He just got that award, just got over the hump to get to the NBA Finals. I think he's critical, maybe the most important player in the series to slow down Stephen Clay.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, Marcus Smart's going to play a key role, but I don't think it's going to be an issue for the Warriors because they face every defense. You got to remember that. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are guys. You know, this is really six finals in eight years, and this is six straight for, for Clay. So he's only known finals in the last eight years, you know, outside the two years he sat out. But it's like they know what to do. So the bottom line is going to be um, the pressure and the moment because that's going to be key. The Warriors have been there several times, and it's the first for all these guys with Boston. You know, Al Horford making after, what, 141, 142 games. And so – it's a situation where the Warriors, you know, they know what's going to happen. They know what to do. And they're going to come up with the right game plan. And, you know, these guys, they're going to be, you know, in the headlights, so to speak. So can they handle the big moment? Can they handle this big stage?
0: Olden Polanyi says our guest. Olden, what do you think of Horford versus Draymond? What do you like with that matchup there, man? Both really battle tested.
2: I, like, I like Draymond. That's a that's a win for the for the Warriors. Draymond's a better matchup. I mean, that's going to be a problem for Al Horford because he's going to have he's going to have to stay active, and that's the key for the Warriors. Everybody, even though like we mentioned, Marcus Smart is defense player of the year, but you know, again that's a regular season award. You know, he had a couple of off nights where he played, you know, like where he had, you know, Sacramento and Orlando and those guys. So it's not like he's going up every night against great players. And so, but now it's, you know, four, five, six, seven games of the, the best of the best. And so to me, it, it's going to be, you know, a hard sell for Boston. But again, it's about the moment. Can they – you know, step up to the plate. But I like Draymond against Horford. I like Stephen Clay. I don't care who they put on those guys because it's going to be a track meet, you know. And then you put the the X Factor Jordan Poole in there. Advantage Warriors.
0: Olden Polynes joins us. Fifteen year big man in the NBA. Olden Jimmy Butler missed what could have been a game winning three. A lot of people are talking about that slot, shot selection. Uh, down the stretch in the game, where he could go around Hawford and get to the front of the rim and get a layup or uh, get fouled, go to the line, or get an N1 and win it that way, and he settled on a three. Are you good with that because he's Jimmy Butler? He's the best player on the team, and he should be able to win or lose a series and take that type of shot?
2: The beauty is. If he makes that shot everybody's happy but because he misses we're all mad. So it's like I'm okay with it that's his, you know that's the nature of the beast. you know you take the shot you make it great you know could he have done something differently? yeah but you know that's all hindsight you know we all can see things after the fact. but at the end of the day he played great he had a great series and you know that was not where they lost the game. That's where they had a chance to win the game, but that's not where they lost the game. They lost the game in that first half, you know, when they weren't playing defense and, you know, all the shots they were missing, everything else. That's Butler's fault.
0: Brad Stevens is now president of basketball operations. He coached this team for several years from 2013 to 2021. And, you know, coached an all-star game, was coach of the year. And he, he doesn't coach this team to the finals. And Adoka takes over and does. It's kind of surprising, huh? Everybody said Stevens was one hell of a coach. He didn't get over the hump. And now look at all of a sudden the guy who takes over for him's able to do it.
2: Well, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, it's the reverse Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr in the, with the Warriors. It's similar to that. You know, you can coach a team and get them ready. And, then, and sometimes your voice is not heard, you know, after a while. And I don't think Brad really wanted to coach anymore. And so it had gotten to the point where he had lost touch with the team. And so they needed a new voice and they brought him in, you know, new energy. And, you know, so Edoka's a really good coach and mm-hmm. he got these guys playing real extremely well. So, I mean, but it's still, you know, a team that Brad Stevens put together, you know, as general manager and has coach as well. So. It is what it is. You know, you just got to appreciate for what it is. It's like they finally, you know, they finally got over the hump. They made it to the finals. But it's a game seven that really could have gone either way. And it's, you know, that's why I say, you know, the Warriors are the team to beat. So it didn't matter who came out the East. They're going to have to go through the Warriors, and that's going to be a problem. But, uh, you know, congratulations to Boston. You know, it's a great season, and it continues. So kudos to all those guys.
0: Olden Polonese as we wrap it up. You know, Olden, we've been talking all year. You've been on with me for many years. You know, we talked about KD and what we were going to see from Brooklyn with Kyrie potentially and Harden. And then we look at what was expected to see from LeBron before the start of the season as they tried to put a super team together. And look what happens now with the Celtics and Warriors. Two very good teams. But most people didn't have them. Most people I talked to had Brooklyn being the team that would be in the Eastern Conference Finals. What are some of the takeaways this year for you on the teams that crashed and burned and didn't do anything and underachieved? And now we see these two great teams in the finals.
2: Well, number one is selfishness, you know, Mm -hmm. and whether, you know, it's Kyrie and the vaccine thing or whatever, but it's like, there's a lot of selfishness in basketball and individual players will never be the team. And I said this earlier to my guys, you know, you have to play as a unit and, The Warriors in Boston, they play as a team, and teams will always beat the great players when they play individually. And so Brooklyn had all those issues, you know, and then Harden, and then Harden was gone. So they had a lot of problems that I knew they weren't going to get over. Mm -hmm. And then the Lakers, they brought in a ball-dominant guard to join a ball-dominant Anthony Davis and a ball-dominant LeBron. And so you're not going to win with that dynamic. So I don't know what Darvin Ham's going to do with that team, but it's going to be a problem with them because they still have the same players. And unless something changes and there's a shift in, in, in thought process, they're going to still have a bad team that's going to be pretty much, you know, in disarray. And so that's what you always have when you have players like that. They got to buy into a system. And if you're not willing to buy into that system, you're always going to struggle and you're always going to lose.
0: Holden, do you think LeBron likes Ham as the new head coach there? I mean, he he put out a tweet and emojis and clapping and thrilled and happy for all that there. he was pretty happy for Frank Vogel when he won a championship there. Why do you think this fits (laughs) with the Lakers this time around? What can you tell us about Ham? You've been around the league and have a lot of contacts. What's he like?
2: Well, you almost answered the question yourself. You know, he did the same thing with Vogel. And and it's a great tweet. And we're all happy. The whole brethren is happy for Darvin Ham. You know, he's paid his dues and he deserved a head coaching job. I didn't expect it to be the Lakers, to be very honest with you. I thought the Lakers were going to make a big splash and get a big-name coach, whatever they had to do, and get it. I don't care if you got to give up a draft pick. You, they should have made a big splash. Now, with that being said, you know, is Darby Ham going to be a, be a guy that can control LeBron and have him run his stuff, or is he going to just continue doing what he's been doing, which is just to, you know, be the, the head the head dude in charge of an organization because that's pretty much what he is you know i love the fact that he's putting up these extremely great numbers at his age but that's all it is it's you know it's empty calories man it's not it's not doing anything for you you know it's just it's great he's chasing kareem and everything else but that's all it is it's not conducive to winning a championship
0: So you believe Darvin Ham's going to have to make a statement? I mean, he's going to be coaching at training camp and preseason games that the season's going to start. And if he doesn't have a better roster, the Lakers are going to have the same problem. I don't care how good of a coach he is. Vogel was a championship coach, and this team train wrecked. So is there going to be a moment that you think that he's going to have to get with LeBron and talk to LeBron about what his role has to be now? And LeBron always leads by examples. He's arguing. Third greatest player of all time. He comes to work, and he's an all-time great here. But a lot more has to happen, old, and behind the scenes for the Lakers to get back to the playoffs. Let alone have a championship most, contender again.
2: Most definitely, and I do believe there is a chance that there might be some trades made, and so mm-hmm. and w- which may involve LeBron. And so it's just you know one of the situations. You know they they the one domino was Dobbin Ham. You know getting a head coach. Okay, you have Dobbin Ham, but I honestly don't believe that. This is the team that he needs. It's similar to, um, remember when they hired Mike D'Antoni and then they brought in those mm-hmm. players, and it's like those guys didn't fit Mike D'Antoni's system. Paul dry oh, they didn't fit into a running style. So sometimes, you know, you make the right coach hire, but you have the wrong players and vice versa. And so to me, that's what I'm going to be looking for to see is Darvin Ham. watch his style of play. Is it going to be similar to what the Milwaukee Bucks ran? You know, but now you need a Giannis to, to make that work and a Chris Middleton. So it's a situation like that. So I don't know yet, but I'm gonna keep my ears to the ground and you know, try and get some info on that one.
0: Last one, Olden. Who do you like in the finals? Warriors or Celtics? How many games?
2: I'm not changing my mind. <laughs> I said the Warriors <laughs> months ago. I'm still going with the Warriors. Clay Thompson makes all the difference in the world. And the Warriors are back. So I got them in six.
0: Thanks, Olden. Good to talk to you. We'll talk to you on the back end of the finals. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Olden. Olden Polonese going with the Warriors, and I'm going with the Warriors, too. And I don't think Boston can win the series, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did with their defense. But I just think the Warriors' experience is just a little bit too much. Uh, We'll get into that. Dub Nation, Warrior fans who are listening because they're streaming Raiders radio. Remember back in the day, the Raiders and the Warriors were on the same flagship station? Well, they're not anymore down here in Vegas, but we love talking warriors. They move the needle. Coming up next, my review of Top Gun Maverick. I give every review one to five bricks. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw it. I'll tell you about that movie. Saw it last night. Uh, Enjoyed it. How much did I enjoy it? No spoilers, but you probably should go see that movie quick because I went last night and it was packed and it was playing on four screens. Pretty much the same time that I saw it. So Top Gun Maverick coming up. And Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe on the Celtics and the Warriors. As that's the big story in sports. Starts Thursday in San Francisco. Right there. uh, The dog patch. Not too far away from the ballpark in San Francisco. What they used to call it. Pac Bell. Oracle. All the name changes. Now it's the Chase Center for the Warriors. Gary Washburn who's covering the story Nationally for the Boston Globe and Top Gun Maverick next. Jason Tatum, moving to his left, Barton's in front of him. Tristan Thompson ambles out to set the screen. Tatum, steps to his left, three in the air, got it! 48
3: for Jason Tatum.
0: Celtics Radio Tatum. Turn it up. Here it is. Danger Zone. Kenny Loggins. I saw Top Gun Maverick last night. I loved it. Four out of five bricks. Now, my four and a half and fives are for the Godfather, Raging Bull, Platoon, the greatest movies of all time. So to get a four bricks out of five is a lot. I love the picture. I thought it was great. Uh, Tom Cruise, Jerry Bruckheimer produced it. Cruise was amazing. It's incredible how good he looks, and this movie's been in the can a couple of years. He reprises his role, and I love the action sequences. The technology is so much better. Remember, 36 years ago, the original, we're not talking 15 years ago. When you look back at this movie, it was going to take a lot. It was going to take a lot to top it, and it was better. Over three decades after the events of Top Gun, Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell The test pilot, the captain, no higher up than that, no spoilers, goes back to Top Gun on a special assignment as an instructor. And I just loved it. I thought it was incredible. My sons loved it. My wife loved it. Look, the movie's great. It is a great movie because of what they're doing in the air. You know, you look at a Marvel movie, and they have all these special effects, which are incredible. But what they're doing with these special effects in real time, These Top Gun jets are incredible. I thought it was fantastic. On the edge of your seat, the entire movie, especially the last 20, 30 minutes, were exceptional. So this is all good. Loving it. Go see it because everybody's seeing it. And you want to be able to not be that guy or gal sitting in a bar going, no, no, don't tell me. Go see this movie. It was better than I expected. And it was really cool just being in the movies with my wife and sons. My wife and I go to the movies all the time. We haven't been since COVID, so what's that, over two years. And my sons, I don't know, drain my bank account because they go to the movies constantly. And my son, this was the third time my youngest son saw the movie, and we enjoyed it, and he loved it the third time too. So I had a great time, Top Gun Maverick, go see it. And Cruise is incredible. Uh, And one last thing on this, before the movie started, it was great to be in the movie theater as all the previews were coming, right? So the preview after preview. So they show the preview of the latest uh, Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise. And it's part one of a two-part movie that's coming out, two parts in the latest edition of Mission Impossible. It felt like it was better than Top Gun, and it looked better than any Daniel Craig trailer that I've seen for Bond. And I love the Bond movies. So Tom Cruise, I hope the Academy... Or someone does something special for Tom Cruise for saving the movie industry, for taking the movie industry and putting it on its back with Top Gun and Mission Impossible coming out because he's incredible. And he was unbelievable on Born on the Fourth of July. He was incredible in Rain Man. I thought he should have won an Academy Award earlier in his career. He's not going to win one for Top Gun Maverick. But well, I hope the Academy does something for him somewhere down the road because he's incredible, and he looked great in this picture. All right, from the Boston Globe, national national NBA insider. Been talking to him for a long time, but it's been a while. Gary Washburn, kind enough to join us. And, Gary, thanks to come on And a UC Berkeley grad is going to be watching Boston going up against the Warriors here. How are you? <laughs>
3: How's it going, JT? <laughs> you did a little research. Uh Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a fascinating series. I think a series that uh, a lot of NBA fans were were looking for. Two intriguing teams, and obviously East Coast, West Coast, and two uh, historic franchises. One that's obviously got the great recent history, and the other has got the, the great long history.
0: Gary, I want to know your opinion from covering this series in Boston so closely and the rest of the league. How much energy did they expend with the Bucs, Brooklyn, now a really great Jimmy Butler led Heat team? Because the Warriors have had a cupcake walk to the finals. No one expected Phoenix not to be there. The Warriors feast on Dallas, no jaw at some point in the Memphis series here. It just seems like Boston put in a lot more work to get here than the Warriors.
3: Yeah, you're right, JT. Um, you know, a, a sweep against Brooklyn, but uh, with a total of 18 points of differentials, four mm-hmm. tough games against the Nets, and then seven game series uh, against the Bucks and the Heat. So they're tested now. You know, is the team tired? Of course, but I think when you you know your your core of your team is in their mid 20s and early 20s. Uh, you're going to have that energy. Now, Al Horford, obviously, about to turn 36 in a couple of days, uh, might have something different to say. But I think this is a team that has enough energy, especially with a couple of days off before game one, and this series spread out to compete favorably. I know they're tired uh, because this was an exhausting series. It's been an exhausting run, you know, to be down 3-2 to the Bucks, then come back and then be up 3-2, lose game six at home, and have to go all the way down to South Beach. And get game seven. But I do think, considering the situation, their first time here, they're going to be newbies here to everything the media day, just all of the glitz and the glamour that comes with the finals. I think they'll be prepared.
0: Yeah, I do too. I think their coach well. I think they'll be prepared. Gary Washburn kind up to join us, Boston Globe, national NBA writer, uh, does a brilliant job, also an author. Gary, I, I like Marcus Smart in this series because I think Emmy Adoka's gotta probably have to remind him. As being the defensive player of the year, he has to elevate his game even higher and he took it to the highest winning that award. What do you expect with the matchups? I don't expect him to exclusively be on Steph and chasing him. I see him switching off with Clay and moving around when Poole comes in. He's the best defender on the court. What do you expect to see from him? What will his role be?
3: Yeah, I think he'll be that kind of that Swiss Army Knife. I think he'll be on a lot of guys. Uh, there will be times he'll probably be on Kevon Looney for a, a few moments. He'll be on Andrew Wiggins for, for stretches. He'll be on, on, on Clay. You know, I don't know how much they'll guard Draymond in, in terms of just really having a guy stick to him, but I think he'll be on everybody because this is a switching defense, a defense that relies on having five strong defenders on the floor. So they trust each other enough to switch and that every guy is capable of, of of guarding whoever they're switched on to. And that's key. But that also means you got to be more precise, especially with the Warriors, where they have you know good three-point shooters and obviously the great one, the greatest of all time in Curry, Thompson, who's getting better after his injury, Wiggins, who has uh, who can be streaky, and then Jordan Poole, who can come off the bench and fill it up too, in addition to guys like Albert Porter, uh, you know, so they have to be precise in this series defensively. That's where it's going to be won or lost is how can you stop, you know, Steph from going from 10 threes or Clay from going from 10 threes or their ball movement from burning your defense and giving them open threes or easy layups because the Warriors slice and dice defenses. They're just so precise. They don't have a guy who, you know, unless he's hitting threes, is going to go for 47 points in uh, 20 free throws like a Jimmy Butler, they are going to beat you uh, with more of a teamwork phase. And I think that the Celtics are going to have to be prepared to kind of switch up defensively a little bit because they're so much different than the Heat.
0: Gary Washburn joins us from the Boston Globe, the NBA national writer, who does a brilliant job. Now let me jump in and ask you about a really big matchup, Horford and Draymond. Don't know exactly what it's going to be like all the time, but Draymond's a trash talker. I think he abuses the refs. I think he's in their face. If I'm the refs, I want to tee him up from time to time. He'll take it, and he'll push the envelope. Horford is an elite veteran playing his best playoff basketball there. I think he's got to get in there and frustrate Draymond. He's got to put his hands on him. He's got to put his hands in his lower back. He's got to talk to him. He's got to get Draymond going because Horford is a— veteran who understands how to play the game mentally and physically. What do you expect as those two great players go after each other? Yeah,
3: I do think it'll be an interesting matchup, you know, because obviously Draymond is a guy who is going to obviously never stop talking. He's going to, but he talks, you know, obviously a great talker on defense in terms of telling his guys where to be, but also to the refs, also to the opposing team. You know, in and, and Horford's not much of a talker. You can, you know, but he will respond when you get him going. I think the Celtics are going to, you know, they're going to have to show the Warriors, hey, we're here. We're not intimidated by the six finals in eight years. We, 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 know you guys have won all the, you know, these three, four championships, and you guys have had this dynasty and all that. But we're here and we're in your face now. This is 2022. This isn't 2018 2017. The Celtics are probably. There's going to be a moment probably in Game One where well, there's some kind of confrontation and guys are going to have to, you know, let each other know, hey, we're here, the Celtics are mm-hmm. here. And, and, and obviously Draymond is likely going to be the center of that situation. And I think the Celtics are going to have to stand up because, you know, it's going to be a mental game just as much as a physical game. You know, Curry doing his shimmy after threes, you know, the, the, the fun, mm-hmm. the, the, the trash talk that the Warriors do when they score. They have a lot of fun. Now, is that going to frustrate you or is that going to motivate you to, to stop them and be better? Um, so it's going to be just as much of a mental game for the for the Celtics, obviously newbies to this NBA Finals thing, as it is a physical game.
0: Gary Washburn, as we wrap it up, uh, Gary, I-, I love the history of these two teams, the rivalry. It's not a great rivalry. It's not Lakers-Celtics. It's not, it's not Bulls going up against Celtics or Detroit or the Bulls you know, having a great regional matchup with the Knicks here, but it means something for younger fans. Younger fans are looking at Hall of Famers, at least four if you count Steve Kerr as the coach, and I think potentially three or four, depending on if the Celtics win this title. A lot on the line for the Raptors in Boston that you know about. As you know, Pearson Garnett and Ray Allen, you know, they were great Celtics, but they had that one ring. The one ring, and then their names went up in the Raptors, and they're iconic there. Can you imagine if Boston beats the Warriors, a recent dynasty? You'd have to consider Tatum, and obviously smart, and no doubt Jalen Brown is a great player. But then Horford would be in that consideration as a great Celtic, and they love him in Boston. I think legacies are at stake here. If you want to look at the greats to ever have their names in the rafters at Boston Garden, if if this group just gets one chip, they need one ring like Garnett and Paul Pierce to be considered those type of players. Is that fair?
3: Yeah, it is fair because this is a team that the fans have grown to love. And, that, and this is an improbable run. As you know, JT, the Celtics were 18-21 in, in January 6th after losing a 25-point lead on national TV against the Knicks. It was embarrassing. And they have made this run. They have galvanized a fan base that has kind of, you know, not been impressed with the Patriots draft and what's going on with the Patriots the last couple of years. And it's kind of down on the Red Sox now because they're below 500. They're what ten games back of the Yankees. So this boss is looking for a team to get behind, and it is the Celtics. The Celtics with Brown, with Tatum, you know, with Smart, with Horford can make a run and snatch title number 18. They'll be one of the more favorite teams in Boston sports history. You know, you got your like the 13 Red Sox. You know, you you got your 208. You know. Celtics. You've got teams that, that are just particularly, you know, the 0-4 Sox, that are just, you know, favorites. The, the guys on the team never have to buy a, a beer in Boston again. They'll be on that list because this team has galvanized the Boston uh, area and the sports fans, and they've been such, made such an improbable run here because they were, people were talking about, well, maybe they can make the play-in. You know, maybe they can sneak into the sixth seed. And now, here they are in the NBA Finals.
0: One more for Gary Washburn. Gary, your gut feeling on the series. Give me one or two moments that you're really looking forward to writing about, looking at as we get ready for game one that you think could be the key to the series.
3: Yeah, just the the matchup. In terms of, I think the Celtics are going to have to be prepared for game one. I think it's our best chance to sneak a game in San Francisco is to kind of take advantage of a rusty Warriors team. Uh, Punch first. Don't, you know, claim fatigue and let game one go and then try to get game two. I think they need to make a statement early. That's what I'll be looking for, how the Celtics defend the Warriors, how they match up, where, guy, where certain guys are going to fit into this matchup, like guys like Grant Williams, Kevon Looney, Jordan Poole, Peyton Pritchard. What are their roles are going to be? Because there's going to be someone that we're not really talking about that's going to have a big impact in this series. And Who is that person going to be, and how is that going to develop early in the series?
0: thanks Gary good to talk to you great to catch up again great work as always thanks for previewing the finals with me thank you JT appreciate it thank you Gary and he's fantastic and follow him at G watchburn he's fantastic on this series here and I think it's a legacy play for the Warriors because the Warriors want to get another ring without Durant they want they had the ring before Durant the two with Durant if they get one after him it'll be amazing if they don't win one with Kevin Durant they'll have one. Without Durant. And you know, look at the Warriors, Durant will be sitting back saying, and Durant cares about this stuff. Believe me, Durant cares. And Durant is not rooting for the Warriors, I can promise you. I can promise you that, even though the Celtics knocked him out. And for the Celtics, you know, growing up, I went to Boston Garden, the old one, once. And I haven't been to TD Garden because I've been out west the whole time. They have those retired numbers in the rafters. Al Horford is a great player, not a good player. He's had a long career, it's his first trip to the finals. If he wins this, okay, it's like uh, Garnett. Garnett's a better player, top 75 player. Horford is not. But what it will do in Celtics lore for Al Horford, could get his name up there. It really could. They, they'll, they'll treat it like that. They Look how they treated what it meant for Ray Allen and Paul Pierce in Garnett. Horford's really hot now. Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Can't wait for that series. I'm going to be talking about it a lot here. Over the next couple of weeks, when I'm here, got a couple of road trips coming up, in and out. But we'll listen to Raider Nation Radio, as we'll all be in the facility on Monday for a couple of programming announcements. Thanks to Bobby, who put the show together. Good to have him back. Have a great day, everybody. I'm on Sirius XM 82, which is free right now. You can listen to it over this long Memorial Day weekend into this week on Sirius XM 82, six to nine p.m. Pacific. Have a great day. Cue on deck.